This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Vaches. I don't have to show you any stinking vaches. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, some breaking news we'll get to here in a minute on the Chris Salcedo Show regarding the GOP health bill. That's all coming up after I let you know, hey, you've tuned in to the Chris Salcedo Show. Glad you've tuned in. 888-900-3393. Everybody that's hearing my voice right now is affected by the debates happening on Capitol Hill right now. The bad news is, is that the majority of Republicans and nearly every Democrat are trying to vote for a system that's going to ultimately screw you. And, and and will ultimately benefit their cronies in the insurance industry. So that's that's the bad news. The good news is, if you want to look at this purely politically, is that Republicans are failing as, as much as they're desperately trying to. They're trying to get their fingerprints all over failed health care. We'll get into all of that coming up. Of course, still, you're getting it screwed, but it's just... I'm going to try to help you navigate around this to maybe better your life. 888-900-3393, that's the phone number. Social media, on Twitter, at Chris Salcedo TX, at C-H-R-I-S-S-A-L-C-E-D-O-T-X, as in Texas. On Facebook, The Chris Salcedo Show, and on the Blaze.com, the channel section. Blaze.com, channels section. Find The Chris Salcedo Show there. Catching the show live, the Blaze.com slash radio, Blaze Radio smartphone app the iHeartRadio app, and for on-demand listening, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, it's conservative programming at your fingertips, on your schedule, at your leisure. If you want a a one-stop shop for everything, just go to chrissalcedo.com. Let me be plain about what we're talking about here. The Republican effort in the House, in the Senate, is to ensure that the traitorous insurance companies get paid off. They want the insurance companies to get paid off because they've already had a massive transfer of wealth in the beginning part of Obamacare. In the, you remember, everything was front-loaded for the first four years. So the insurance companies got all kinds of, all, all kinds of coin. And then when uh, it, the time came to pay up, with all of the unreasonable and unmarket-based requirements from Obamacare, then all of a sudden they started taking it in the shorts. So they started bailing out of the Obamacare exchanges. And that's where we are today. And so many of these individuals uh, who populate the traitorous insurance companies' ranks are now very concerned about what the Republicans are going to do. Will they still be able to get and extort massive amounts of money from the American population. So now they're digging deep into all the money they've been gifted from Obamacare, and now they're throwing it toward Republicans. Hey, make sure that we're taken care of. Make sure that we're taken care of. Meantime, you and I get screwed. I haven't talked a lot about the Republican bill offered by the leadership of the Republican Party because it's... Crap. It's it's less stinky crap than than Obamacare, but it's still crap. 
Obamacare magically somehow when you're instituting an entitlement everything just falls into place it's like it's like magic everybody falls into everybody falls into line they can pass whatever the hell they want and not pass impose whatever the hell they want and you just got to sit down and take it when they're trying to be rid of a cancerous entitlement that is bad for the United States of America all of a sudden well there are things to consider and uh uh, reconciliation and uh, you're taking away health care. Well, no, no, not really. Part of the Obamacare debacle was the expansion of Medicaid, which put tons of people who didn't belong on Medicaid on Medicaid. And then when the new administration comes in and tries to behave responsibly, then all of a sudden, oh, well, uh, you're taking uh, health care away. Well, those people shouldn't have been on it to begin with. We detailed this on Monday with uh, Senator Barrasso aptly pointing out that Medicaid was not meant to cover millions upon millions of Americans. It was very targeted for individuals who were women, pregnant women, underprivileged kids, the the disabled, not able-bodied men, but Barack Obama, Lama McClure, we're going to put a whole bunch of people on Medicaid because that's the right thing to do. Let me be clear. So that's where we find ourselves. And he knew the politics. He knew that as soon as he put a whole bunch of eligible people on the Medicaid, uh, uh, I'm sorry, not eligible, ineligible people on Medicaid and magically made them eligible, that to, to get back to a more fiscally sustainable Medicaid, that it would be bad politics for the Republicans. You're taking people off of Medicaid. And of course, uh, no reporter out there has either the brain cells or the political persuasion to ask the tough question. Well, wait a minute, Senator Durbin or Senator uh, uh, Reed, not the old Senator Reed, but the other Democrat or Senator Schumer. How many of those millions of Americans on Medicaid right now should be there? How many of them are able-bodied? How many of them go beyond the original scope of poor, disabled women, children, or or disabled folks? No Democrat ever has to answer that because it's just, it's too inconvenient a soundbite, you know? (laughs) Republicans, people are going to die! People are going to die! There There are Democrats out there. Hold on. Uh, who is this? This is uh, Pelosi and uh, who is it? Al Franken? We do know that the uh, many more people, millions, hundreds of thousands of people will die if this bill passes. What? Wait a minute. If this bill passes. So, so wait a minute. Obamacare prevents people from dying. Who knew that? Did you all know that? Having socialized medicine prevents people from dying. One to two thousand people will die. If you cut 750,000 people from from Medicaid. So that means you're killing one to two thousand, killing them. Yeah, he was on MSNBS. Excuse me, Senator Franken. uh, How many of those people are able-bodied individuals? How many? Shouldn't Medicaid be reserved for what it was set up to provide for uh, disabled Vulnerable women and vulnerable children. Shouldn't that be the limit? Why, why would you accept, Senator Frank, and this expansion to people who are not eligible, who shouldn't be eligible on this program? Why would you accept that, Senator Stuart Smalley? No. Those tough questions don't get asked. 
Because we're all in love with socialism in the basket of biased press. What does this mean for you? Well, this means you get screwed. And there's only one way out of not being screwed anymore is to unelect these individuals who are screwing you. That's, that, that is the way out. Get involved, damn it. It's not enough for me to sit here on the radio and tell you about this stuff. What you do with it is germane to the conversation. Now look, got Mitch McConnell and a whole bunch. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to break earlier than I normally do so I can come back. We will do the flip around because everybody's focused on this right now. All the cable networks, they're focused on now, now, now they're switching to the White House press briefing. Um, communities hit by high premiums, says Sarah Huckabee. Well, hold on a second. Since she's on, uh, it's not Sean Spicer today. He was up on the Hill, apparently. So he couldn't make it to the press briefing. So let me just dip in right now to what's going on uh, with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And let's see, I get, yeah, every single one of the cable folks are on her right now. So let me just, where should I go? Uh, Fox Business. Why isn't their response good enough for the president? Uh, I, I don't know that it's that the response isn't good enough for the pro- president. Uh, I think it's the constant barrage of fake news directed at this president, probably, that uh, has garnered a lot of his frustration. Um, you point to that report. Uh, there are multiple other instances where uh, that outlet that you referenced has been repeatedly wrong and had to point that out or be corrected. Uh, there's a video circulating now, whether it's accurate or not. Uh, I don't know, but I would encourage everybody in this room and, frankly, everybody across the country to take a look at it. Uh, I think if it is accurate, I think it's a disgrace to all of media, to all of journalism. I think that we have gone to a place... Folks, she's talking about CNN. She's talking about a Project Veritas video. They got a CNN producer to admit that the entire CNN uh, Russian obsession is total BS. Got to admit it on camera, hidden camera. And if that's coming directly... Oh, by the way, CNN, that's real journalism. Scary, uh, and certainly more disgraceful. And I hope that that's not the direction we're headed. I hope that uh, outlets that have continued to use either unnamed sources, sometimes stories with no sources at all. Uh, we've been going on this Russia-Trump hoax for the better part of a year now with no evidence of anything. Uh, things like the success at the VA barely get covered. They may get covered for an hour at a time, but this story gets covered day in, day out. And I think America is frankly looking for something better. They're looking for something more. Uh, and I think they deserve something better from our news media. Does the president actually expect, does I'm the sorry? President actually expect us not to report on stories of a foreign country trying to influence the presidential election? Uh, I, I don't think it's that it's expected that you're not to report on, um, again, actually. Did you report on it back during when they were trying to influence it during the Reagan era? Did you report on it during the Bush era? Did you report on it during the Obama era? This is nothing new, you moron. This is nothing new. Back in a minute. It's Chris Salcedo Show here on The Blaze. Keep up with The Chris Salcedo Show on Facebook and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Just another way to stay in touch with Chris on the Blaze Radio Network. 
This is the Chris Salcedo Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Let's uh, let's continue the flip around. We don't normally do it for two segments unless it's really good. And this, of course, happened right when we went to break. Listen to this. I think it's that it's expected that you're not to report on, um, again, actual news if there's something there. But again, I, I think that there are a lot of things happening in this world that, frankly, a lot of people would like to hear about, whether it's job growth, whether it's deregulation, whether it's tax reform, health care. I think a lot of those things deserve a lot more coverage than they get. And it's real news. And it's verifiable. And it's not been proven time and time and time again to be baseless. But there's been a narrative for nearly a year now based on a, on a narrative that is completely unsubstantiated. Unsubstantiated. No facts. As a matter of fact, the only thing we know about alleged Russia-Trump collusion is that there is no evidence of collusion for a year now. That's all we know. And they're going to keep on driving, maybe for the next three years, and the answer will still be, we have no evidence of collusion. And they're paying with ratings, ladies and gentlemen. And they are paying with public opinion, as now this is all turning. We gave you the, uh, the poll yesterday of how Americans believe this whole witch hunt about Trump, Russia, Russia, Trump is harming America. 73% believe the Congress and the media are, are not tuned into the needs of the American people, but their own political agenda. That this whole Russia, Trump thing, they're obsessed with it and ignoring what needs to happen for the for the people. Uh, Trump's out there tweeting today. Wow. CNN had to retract big story on Russia. We told you guys about this yesterday with three employees forced to resign. I say allowed to resign. What about all of the phony stories? All the other phony stories they do fake news. And he tweets out a picture of CNN's new logo called FNN fake news network. And we, (laughs) we put this up with the Chris Salcedo show Facebook page too. Uh, because it's it's now, I think, a legitimate question sh- about changing CNN's name. Should we call them Fake News Network or BS News Network, BSNN? Because as we told you, there's a video out there, Project Veritas, one of their producers at CNN says it's complete and utter BS. Complete and utter BS, this whole Trump-Russia thing. And it's, Je- and it's Zucker, the head of CNN, who is driving this for ratings. So I wrote, tough to decide. Should at CNN name be changed to FNN or BSNN? CNN producer calls Trump-Russia story mostly BS. Says CEO encouraged Russia, Russia coverage. With no facts. To destroy Trump. Uh, Trump went on to uh, to tweet. Uh, hold on, where'd it go? I just saw it here a second ago. Hold on, hold on. I have to scroll down the official real at real Donald Trump. Oh uh, yeah, fake news. CNN is looking at big management changes now that they got caught falsely pushing their phony Russian stories. Ratings are way down. And then the president went, you know, one step too far. You, you should, he should just stay targeted on CNN. They're the leader of the basket of bias. So they, they caught fake news CNN cold. 
But what about NBC, CBS, ABC? What about the failing New York Times and the Washington Post? They are all fake news. (laughs) Learn to quit while you're ahead, Mr. President. Learn to quit while you're ahead. If you had successfully made CNN pay for their slanted, biased coverage, the others would have returned back to more responsible reporting. Stay, stay focused. Anyway, uh, back to uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Where'd I go? There, there it is. There's the player. Hold on a second. Let me make sure I get this right where we left off. And all we're saying is, you know, I think that we should take a really good look at what we are focused on, what we are covering, and making sure that it's actually accurate and it's honest. If we make the slightest mistake, the slightest word is off, it is uh, just an absolute tirade from a lot of people in this room. She's letting them have it. And CNN, because of their faulty reporting, their irresponsible reporting, their non-factually based reporting, their agenda-driven reporting, their left-wing biased reporting, gave Sarah Huckabee Sanders the opening to lambast all of those people who had undertaken this type of thing. But news outlets get to go on day after day and cite unnamed sources, use uh, stories without sources, have, uh, you know, you mentioned the Scaramucci story where they had to have reporters resign. Come on, you're inflaming everybody right here, right now. With Oh, she's inflaming? Here's some, here's some out of control reporter. You're inflaming everybody. Yeah, by calling out you and your irresponsible reporting, she's inflaming? I don't know. Uh, this, this is a male reporter. Uh, that, that could be taken as sexist using your stupid standards over there among the basket of biased press. Horses have, uh, you know, you mentioned the Scaramucci story where they had to have reporters resign. Come on. You're inflaming everybody right here, right now with those words. You, you, this administration has done that as well. Why in the name of heavens? Any one of us, right, are replaceable. And any one of us, if we don't get it right... The audience has the opportunity to turn the channel or not read us. Yeah, and the only reason why we know that is when you're called to the carpet, like Sarah Huckabee Sanders is doing right now, or like this show does right now. The only reason why we know that you're shoveling BS, sir, is because we call it out. And you say, oh, it's inflammatory. Screw you, you putz. I think I you think, have been elected to serve for four years at least. There's no option other than that. We're I here think, to ask you questions. Right. We're here to provide the answers. And what you just did is inflammatory to people all over the country who look at it and say, see, once again, the president's right and everybody else out here is fake media. And everybody in this room is only trying to do their job. No, no. You're not, well, yeah, they think their job is to destroy President Donald Trump instead of being journalists. They're not doing their job as journalists, sir. They're being Democrat Party operatives. I think you better go back to the manual and look at your job. 888-900-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to the Latino conservative Chris Salcedo on the Blaze Radio Network. 
we'll get back to uh, well, some of the breaking news here in a minute about uh, the Republicans putting off the vote on, uh, well, garbage. It was uh, a less smelly garbage than the Obamacare garbage, but they're putting it off anyway. Let's talk about something that came down that was positive yesterday. The Supreme Court uh, making their ruling on the temporary travel ban of the Trump administration. To that end, let's talk to John Malcolm. He is uh, vice president for the Institute for Constitutional Government, director of the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, and the Ed Gilbertson and Sherry Lindbergh Gilbertson Senior Legal Fellow, the Institute for Constitutional Government. John, welcome to the Chris Salcedo Show. Good to be with you, Chris. Just how big, uh, because you wrote about this in a piece entitled The Supreme Court Will Review Trump's Revised Travel Ban, and what's, that's good news for the president. How big was it for this, this nascent presidency, uh, uh, just starting out, and the biggest legal challenge, I would think, to the early days of the Trump, uh, uh, the Trump presidency? Yeah, look, I, I think it's pretty big. I mean, they haven't reached a decision on the merits. They will hear oral argument in the case in October. Uh, however, they largely lifted the injunctions that had been entered by the lower courts and the fact that they reached out so quickly without a split uh, of opinion among the circuit courts and said, we need to hear this case. It involves national security, it involves separation of powers. It's incredibly important. We need to hear this case. We need to hear it quickly. I think bodes extremely well for the president. Now, why don't you think, because the president could have asked for a July hearing because of the the nature of national security, why didn't he do it? Yeah, I'm not quite sure why he didn't ask for expedited review. However, he's going to end up getting, in the meantime, uh, almost everything that he wants. So the two lower courts that had considered the issue, the Fourth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit, had entered nationwide injunctions against enforcing any part of the president's revised executive order. The plaintiffs in Hawaii were some individuals who said, look, we have close family members who want to bring into the country. The, the state was saying the University of Hawaii has admitted some students from these six designated countries, and they can't come into the country. The Supreme Court said, we will allow the injunction to stay in place as to these plaintiffs and somebody who is similarly situated to them. So somebody who can come in and document that they have a close family connection, or they are an admitted student, or they have a signed contract with an American company. Maybe they will get to come in, but everybody else who does not have such a close connection to the United States, and that is the vast majority of people covered by that executive order, they will not be able to come in. The executive order will go into effect. We were just alluding to the fact that, that, that CNN has, has become a disgrace to what real journalism is supposed to be. I have to tell you, I got that impression from the Ninth and the Fourth Circuit rulings and all these judges that heard the travel ban because they didn't look at the text of the law. As a matter of fact, one of the plaintiffs had to admit that had any other person authored this this uh, temporary travel ban, it would have been constitutional. But what made it unconstitutional and what I what I consider to be betrayers of the judicial system, what made it unconstitutional was the fact that Trump was behind it. And, and to me, that's not the rule of law. That's politics getting into the bench. What's your take? Yeah, I think that's exactly correct. I, I haven't seen what CNN did. I'll have to look as soon as we get done here. But in terms of the analysis of the travel ban, I think that is right. So literally, the, the plaintiffs or, or the challengers were asked during oral argument, look, if Bill Clinton or Barack Obama had entered this exact order, would it be constitutional? And they said, yes. 
the reason why it's unconstitutional is based on tweets or some statements made by campaign surrogates so that we really know that this is a Muslim ban. It, it is a it is, is born by religious discrimination and animus against Muslims. Now, the Supreme Court, as far back as 1972, has said, look, when it comes to national security, the executive branches do substantial deference. They get daily classified intelligence briefings. Courts do not. And if on the face of an executive order, there is a facially legitimate bona fide reason for that order, that's as far as it goes. And the courts are not supposed to look behind the exercise of that discretion. They're not supposed to engage in a balancing test between, you know, about whether the rights of immigrants to enter the country, which they have precious few, uh, whether those should trump the president's decisions. When it comes to national security, substantial deferences do, and that is fully appropriate. And the lower courts, I think, really joined the resist movement and said, we don't care. We don't like this president. We think that he has a thing against Muslims. And mm-hmm. so we're going to ignore binding Supreme Court precedent. And I don't think that the Supreme Court will allow that to stand. Oh, there's a lot of that going around. John Malcolm is our guest right now, folks, vice president for the Institute for Constitutional Government and director of the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Uh, Now, look, the, the, the temporary travel ban for these six majority Muslim countries, which do not constitute a Muslim ban because there are 43 other majority Muslim countries not affected. But it's only in place for 90 to 120 days while extreme vetting is implemented. Uh, when when the courts com- re- reconvenes in October, the Supreme Court, it's it's going to already have run its course, so it'll be a moot point. But I still think there needs to be a ruling to reaffirm that this is the president's call, no matter who the president is. If you are an elected president, this is your exclusive purview, and the courts should not have any say. Well, do you agree with me? This This should be ruled on one way or the other. Well, I think it should be, and I think it will be. So the court has added to the questions to be presented by the advocates whether or not the case is moot. I don't think it will be. So there is a 90-day temporary uh, suspension of of travel from those six countries subject to case-by-case waivers. There's also a 120-day suspension uh, of admittees under our refugee program. Uh, There's a cap at 50,000 refugees for 2017. Those have also been challenged, so those will extend well past the time the court hears oral argument. And the 90-day period is for the secretaries of Homeland uh, Security and State to do a review as to whether proper vetting is in place or can be put in place. It's entirely possible that that uh, uh, suspension will be extended, at least as to some of these countries. And of course, the injunction has uh, remained in place with respect to at least a small category of people who are subject to the order. So I don't think at the end of the day, the court will determine that the case is moot. And I think they will resolve it on the merits. Yeah, well, and that needs to happen because we, we cannot allow uh, certain biased elements, left-wing elements in this country to compromise the power of the presidency of the United States because they, they dislike Donald Trump. He is an Ed Gilbertson and Sherry Lindbergh Gilbertson Senior Legal Fellow of the Institute for Constitutional Government. John Malcolm, sir, I really appreciate your time and expertise here in the Chris Salcedo Show. It was a fascinating discussion. We'll get you back on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. 888 Had to touch base on that because I, th- I, th- I think it's, it's so vitally important, folks, that we get a ruling on this. This is the president's power and authority, and it should not have been usurped improperly for politics sake by agendized judges. Meantime, uh, the GOP is delaying the vote. The GOP is delaying the vote on, uh, on the Obamacare. You can't call it. You can't call it a repeal. Uh, tinkering, maybe. 
the Obamacare, get it out of the way, patch it up so we can get on a tax reform. Maybe you can call it that. But uh, the Republican <clears throat> leadership stepped out in front of the microphones just before we hit the air. And here's what they had to say. Consequently, we will not be on the bill this week, but we're still working toward getting uh, at least 50 people in a comfortable place. We're going down to the White House at 4 o'clock. The president invited us to come down. The White House has been very much involved in these discussions. They're very anxious to help, and we appreciate the invitation, and I hope all of our members will head down. I think that will likely uh, be the case. Well, the schedule may have changed a little bit, but one thing that hasn't changed, and that is Obamacare is collapsing. Well, that is true. Obamacare is collapsing. And as a matter of fact, the only thing that folks can find to say about Obamacare is that, well, pre-existing conditions and keeping your kids on until they're 26. One is very costly. And one is an insurance. Uh, pre-existing conditions, being denied for pre-existing conditions. Uh, I think that should go away, but you shouldn't be able to fix pricing. Meaning... You can't charge somebody because they have a pre-existing condition. Well, if somebody has a pre-existing condition, that makes them more of a risk. Doesn't it? It makes them more of a risk. The idea that, oh, well, you are afflicted with a problem. You want to have somebody assume the risk for your medical bills, but you don't want to pay for it. You want to have somebody else pay for it. That's, that's in essence what the Obamacare bill did. Is it raised the rates on everybody else? to accommodate those high-risk individuals. And it may sound like a, a really good kumbaya moment, but when push comes to shove, you are being forced by your federal government to subsidize people that you don't even know. Your hard work doesn't go exclusively for your family. It goes for other people's families. And it, your hard work is making it so Democrats can get elected. That's, that's the long and short of it. Because Democrats are promising your money that you make through your honest effort to other people. Thus, they're getting elected. Now, there are ways to defer, and I think Paul Ryan has touched base on this. There are ways to defer costs and separate those who are in high-risk pools away from the general population. So the general population, the vast majority of Americans aren't impacted. Instead, these individuals go into pools that are full of high-risk folks. And then we as a society try to offset some of those costs. It'd be a much less expensive way of going. Um, it's still expensive, though. And it doesn't change people's behaviors. So, trust me, if you're accountable for yourself, you're going to change your behavior. And a lot of behaviors have to change in our medical system. We've got to get to prevention instead of, you know, going hard all of our lives, not taking care of ourselves, and at the end of our lives expecting somebody else to foot the bill for very expensive health care. Got, we've got to change that mentality now. Now, there are some folks we've made a deal with who are the older generation who that deal has to be kept, but we've got to start making this transition. And legislation like Obamacare doesn't do that. Legislation like Obamacare basically solidifies bankruptcy. It is a failed system that needs to be replaced, and uh, we believe that the legislation that we're 
uh, trying to get up on the Senate floor and consider there uh, will take America in a better direction. It will help bring stability to the marketplace, that will bring affordability to people across this country who are suffering under the curse of high premiums and high deductibles and high out-of-pocket costs. Everything is high. High, high, high. You know what? I just got, I, I, I got to build, I had a procedure done, an MRI, and paid 500 bucks, 500 bucks out of my medical savings account. By the way, during the Obama administration, my medical savings account was penalized. Because Obama didn't want me saving money for myself, he because that that take that separates me from the government control. You see, the whole idea was to get me under government control, and have the likes of Obama. Let me be clear: you vote the way you're sp- you, uh, that I want you to, or uh, we may have to do something about that health care. Let me be clear: that's what he wanted. That's what his ilk want: control, and that's why he penalized. People like me who, who wanted to get into health plans that allow me or work plans that allow me to set up a health savings account. But thankfully, I'm still able to do that even with some of the penalties that are involved, not to the greatest extent that I'd like to, but I'm hoping that that gets expanded for whatever patchwork the Republicans do. But anyway, uh, still had a, high, a higher deductible to pay on my insurance plan. And then... Uh, then, then my copay kicked in, so had to pay a good chunk of money to finish out my deductible, and then voila, twenty percent I had to come up with. But these are the reality; these are the reality costs that we have to start facing as a as a society. And the reason why I was able to get most of my procedure taken care of is because I pay into it, and thankfully I have a great employer who also pays uh, top dollar to an insurance company that allows that type of thing to, to be defrayed in a, in a group-type policy. Uh, all right, I'm, I am way long. Back in a minute, the Chris Salcedo Show right here on The Blitz. It's your radio republic. Be heard. 888-900-3393. This is the Chris Salcedo Show, part of Generation Blaze. On the Blaze Radio Network. Conservative Talk Radio with Spice. We continue to have positive and productive conversations. I believe we can get to yes. I believe we will get to to yes. It's going to take more discussions. And the most critical question is how do we lower premiums? That's been my central focus from the beginning. You know, for five months there has been a working group in the Senate uh, working to bring Republicans together and, and unite behind the best approach to repealing Obamacare. Now, I believe Senator Ted Cruz when he believes what his singular focus is. Might I suggest to Ted Cruz that the government has very little to do with bringing down premiums? You want to bring down premiums? The answer isn't to have the taxpayers subsidize crony capitalists like the traitorous insurance companies. Kick their butts off of government dependence and let them compete in an open marketplace government's role is to create a fair marketplace for them to compete take down the state lines allow them to actually 
produce a better product. Right now, they're fat and they're happy and they're lazy because they don't have to do much work for a living. Now, granted, the insurance companies are imposed upon mightily by bureaucrat nonsense inside of the federal government. You start lifting some of those and you're going to see magic happen. It's called the free market. You're going to see availability increase because there's a demand for the product. You're going to see costs go down because there are insurance companies that say, you know what, I can do it better. I'm Anthem. I can do it better than Blue Cross. And Blue Cross say, well, I can do it better than, than Anthem. It's what we call competition. And it works. Might I say to Senator Cruz, for God's sake, let's try it. 888-900-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Batches. I don't have to show you any stinking boxes. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, that was a working group that's been led by Senator Lamar Alexander and myself. And the discussions of the working group have really focused on common sense reforms that would expand options, expand competition, and give consumers more choices, which would lower premiums and make health insurance more affordable. If we the, the real simple way to do around to, to get to that Senator Cruz with all due respect, get out of Obamacare, deregulate, get the government out of health care decisions. The basic laws are there. The, the level, the level playing field, the scope of these laws passed by, dare I say, our political opposition, liberals, Democrats, the vast majority of those well-intentioned regulations are now being abused. We have laid out the case for the last couple of days of what happens when laws that may have been passed with good intentions are taken over by individuals like Obama like Pelosi, who don't have good intentions, how they can be abused. And I, I have to, to go back to the Salcedo Show axiom that says it is best not to give government these powers, lest they be abused. Because you'll find frequently in these pieces of legislation, there is little mechanism or recourse for the American people should somebody in government go astray, go above and beyond, work to the detriment of the American people, punishment for them. We take it in the shorts either way. So it is best not to have government vote itself more power. Because nine times out of ten, it's unaccountable power. And they do tremendous amounts of damage between the point when they're elected 
every other year if you're a congressman or every six years if you're a senator. A tremendous amount of damage to you and your family's life. Well, Chris, what are we going to do about it? I can tell you what you're going to do about it. Stop electing people who think that the measure of what they do is how many laws they can pass. Instead, elect people who think the measure of a good legislator is how many laws that they get rid of, how many restrictions on the American people they get rid of, how they promote freedom, liberty, prosperity. Who take, who maybe craft a law that punishes elected leaders when they abuse the laws they pass. But you don't see much of that, do you? You don't see Congress passing laws that would penalize one of their own. For, let, let's take, for example, Medicare and Medicaid. Medicaid, the most dominant example, was passed for what? Disabled folks, underprivileged women, and underprivileged children. When Barack Obama callously and recklessly added millions of able-bodied, and the Democrat Party added millions of ineligible people onto the Medicaid rolls, what was the consequence? What price did they have to pay? None. Zero. They violated the reason why the law was established. Because I'll bet you somebody, when they were creating Medicaid, forgot to put that, that little provision in there that said, this is the only group of people that this is set aside to help. Nobody else is eligible. And no other Congress or future president can modify these criteria. Bet you they forgot. And if they do, they are punishable by this amount of time in jail. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Because they don't want to restrict themselves. They want to restrict you. They want to restrict your family. They can't monetize or create votes out of something that they don't have control of. If they were so altruistic in the creation of these government programs. And yes, I spit it through my teeth and I seethe when I think of the waste and the fraud and the abuse we suffer at the hands of these elected bureaucrats up in Washington, D.C. The likes of Chuck Schumer, that charlatan, and Dick Durbin, that used car salesman with all apologies to used car salesmen. That snake oil salesman, Dick Durbin. How about that? When I think about the verbal jujitsu that they put on us, when I think about the lack of accountability from these individuals, all they want is their six-figure salaries paid for by the American people and to be able to build up build up their own little personal fortunes with as little impedance from you and I as possible. And then we go back to Obamacare. Here was a law, a, a, a 
one-party law that was imposed on this country didn't enjoy majority support until the Republicans started thinking, oh, we're going to take a bite at this apple. Then all of a sudden, people started wondering, oh, what's going to happen now? Look at how much government screwed us before. What are the Republicans going to do? I understand the, the very human reaction. It didn't mean that Obamacare got any better. It just means that the American people feared what the Republicans were going to do. And then I think about how it was jammed down our throats, how it was, how we were told lie after lie after lie about it. And then we're told we just got to deal with it. We suffer and the people who voted for it, they don't suffer in the least. Well, a lot of them lost their jobs and the party lost their jobs. But still, seeing a Democrat lose an election doesn't put any more money back in my pocket or your pocket. It doesn't create any more freedom or liberty for you and me. It might feel good for the moment. But that's why so many of us were elated to make sure uh, to, to to learn that the the immediate suffering was over with the defeat of Hillary Clinton but then the work had to begin and i know you were all skeptical i was skeptical too as to whether or not trump was up for it but it seems he is more adept than than i or you maybe gave him credit for, for being because he approaches things very much the way you and i look at things to where it's well that's just not right i don't care who's political axes or oxes getting gored that's just not right and he looks at things in a very pragmatic way in a very practical way and also you know what 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 do you mean we have to educate illegal aliens whenever they get here across that border what do you mean what do you mean that we we have to maintain a porous border what do you mean that texas's uh sanctuary cities law is is somehow unconstitutional by telling state uh, uh, state cities that they must follow federal law. That's up to the states to tell them. So anyway, the the whole context of this conversation, and, and, and by the way, I'm going to transition coming up at the bottom of the hour. Maria Espinosa, you guys remember her from the Rem- Remembrance Project? They were instrumental in helping uh, getting Donald Trump elected. And because of their influence, Trump created that that new government entity called Voice. And it was dedicated to helping American citizens who had been forgotten by the Democrat Party, victims of illegal alien felonies, victims of illegal alien crime. And the Remembrance Project made sure that Donald Trump address these kinds of things and it resonated with the president. So he put his, he put his administration where his mouth was and they've got a tremendous amount of influence and they're doing some good up there. And we'll get a check in to see how they are advocating for you and me, the American citizen uh, and, and a stark contrast from the last administration that seemed to put the illegal alien felon first. And many Cities of one that are dominated by one political party seem to be putting illegal alien felons first as well. 
So we'll talk with them uh, coming up here at the bottom of the hour and much more to come. The Salcedo Show here on The Blaze. Stick with me. Dismantling liberal ideology one issue at a time. This is The Chris Salcedo Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Salcedo. Gentlemen, can you answer whether the president still believes the, the question? There's no camera on, Jim. But maybe we should turn the cameras on, Sean. Why don't we turn the cameras on? Why don't we turn the cameras on? I'm sorry that you have to do Jen, Why not turn the cameras on, Sean? They're in the room. The lights are on. That's alleged reporter Jim Acosta from CNN embarrassing himself, wetting his pants over the fact that he couldn't get some FaceTime during the press briefing. And uh, I bring that up again today. We we covered that rather extensively yesterday here on the Chris Salcedo Show, but uh, something has been added. Newt Gingrich, one of the big thinkers on our side, one of the big idea guys, brought up something as he was talking with Fox and Friends this morning that I thought was, well, something we've been calling for. And the uh, our friends over at Fox and Friends actually described some of the tweets that we articulated earlier from the president about CNN's fake news. CNN has been pushing the the Russia thing, Russia, 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 all the time, time, time. And of course, there was that rush to get that Anthony Scaramucci story out. He's part of one of the advisors to the president. And they linked him to a Russian scandal and they had to retract it. And a couple of people, three people resigned or got fired. The president has just tweeted out something brand new. And it says fake news CNN is looking at big management changes now that they got caught falsely pushing their phony Russian stories. Ratings way down. All right, uh, here's the President of the United States using his Twitterverse to uh, take a shot at CNN, which, you know, we saw some of the statistics, 93% of their stories are anti-Trump. So this is not surprising. Now, just a slight pushback on Mr. Ducey there. Did the President of the United States take a shot at CNN? Because... Frankly, when I think of somebody taking a shot at somebody, it, it, it isn't necessarily justified. But I think the president of the United States was well within his rights to call out a news organization that allowed three of its, and I'm making air quotes with my fingers, journalists to resign because they had put out a story that was so poorly sourced, so devoid of facts that they had to retract it. Now, I, so I don't think it was a shot at all. I think it was it was quite necessary and needed. I think that that President Trump doing this with CNN, he provided a service for the country in pointing out that CNN is a biased news organization that is, it is, Uh, disparaging of Trump at all costs, whether it's factual or not. One more thing. Why do you guys think that these, air quotes with fingers again, journalists were allowed to resign? Why weren't they fired? Now, when, when I was in news, 
if I had put up a story that I didn't source, if I had put up a story and put my, uh, if I had put CBS and I used to work for CBS, CBS reputation on the line and came out with a, a poorly sourced story that was completely not factual about resident Obama. They, I would have been fired because I would have put the prestige and the reputation of CBS at risk. Now, granted, there is no prestige and reputation about CNN. They are so in the tank for the Democrat party. They are so biased. They're not journalists. So there's no reputation to salvage there. I understand. But still, the reason why these leftists, and that's what they are, they're left-wing biased reporters. The reason why they were allowed to resign is because, well, the folks at CNN didn't want to take uh, foot soldiers out from the cause, which is liberalism, of course. Uh, no, no. They, they, if you're fired, that looks really bad on the resume. And you'd have a hard time justifying hiring one of these individuals over the New York Times or the Washington Post or MSNBS or ABC or CBS or NBC. That way, these individuals, since they resigned, they could be rehired at one of these left-wing biased journalistic outfits. Or not journalistic, uh, alleged news outfits. They're not journalists. When, when, they, when they undertake biased news coverage, they're not journalists. They're something else. They're propagandists. And CNN is the leader of this kind of thing. So that's why those rep those reporters, those left-wing reporters were allowed to resign. They should appoint an outside analyst, somebody of impeccable authority, somebody like a Michael Mukasey, who used to be the Attorney General of the United States, to come in and review everything at CNN and basically reset it. You cannot get to a believable network while Zucker is there. He clearly made a gamble last year to be the leading anti-Trump network. They've clearly done things that are absurdly wrong. Uh, I, I, I like lots of the people at CNN. I worked with them for a while. Uh, and there are some very, very good people at CNN with a very long tradition of being good journalists. Right, but they're sacrificing it all. They're sacrificing their reputations as quote-unquote journalists to, to buy into a left-wing political agenda that it has one objective, to destroy the presidency of Donald Trump. And it's, it's plain as the nose on everybody's face. Everybody understands that, that CNN can't be trusted, that they're a biased news organization. Everybody gets that. Everybody understands that. And we take every opportunity here on the Chris Salcedo Show to remind you, our audience, about what's going on over there. And, and part, of, part of the reason I do this is because I used to be a reporter. I value good journalism whenever I can find it. By the way, Cheryl Atkinson will be coming on to the program. I think it's Thursday. That's a real journalist, which is why she's not working at CBS anymore. Uh, but what CNN has done is, an, is, is a betrayal of their First Amendment, their constitutional charge, and they're selling out for politics. But the culture of the overall system right now is very toxic, and I think they should bring in an outside person like Attorney General Mukasey to review the whole culture and to reset it so people could have faith in CNN again. And we've been calling for this since we found out that CNN helped rig the Democrat primary for Hillary Clinton.
Remember? Now, we never got an investigation. CNN never did an investigation. They never told the American people. CNN never came clean with the American people of how debate questions got into to Hillary Clinton's hands and Bernie Sanders didn't have them in a so-called Democrat debate. CNN was cheating on behalf of the Clinton campaign, rigging an election, and they never explained it. Now that we've got Donald Trump in the Oval Office, now they, they, they don't have to explain all of their shoddy journalism and their biased reporting. And I think that Newt Gingrich is, is absolutely correct. What CNN has needed for, for years now is an independent auditor to come in and say, this is what your problem is to restore faith and make CNN a credible news organization again. It's going to take an awful lot, but I don't think they want to be credible anymore. Uh, Maria Espinosa, The Remembrance Project, up next on The Salcedo Show. The Chris Salcedo Show will be right back. The Blaze Radio Network. Salcedo is on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Time to talk to our next guest, Maria Espinoza, the co-founder and national director for the Remembrance Project. Now, they advocate for families of victims who have been killed by illegal aliens. Maria is a first-generation American. Father came here legally into the United States from Mexico, and she's born in the great state of Texas. Maria, welcome back to the Chris Salcedo Show. Chris, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's great now, we have, uh, we, we have uh, lost touch because you've been busy. Uh, the Remembrance Project has relocated from Texas into, into Washington, D.C., so I got several questions to get, get the folks caught up on what you've been up to. First off, Victims of Immigration Crime Engagement Voice. This was a, a division of the government that the president was setting up that he talked about so that people that you have been advocating for all of these years would not be forgotten by the federal government. How is that development going? Okay, well, the, it is up and going. They're, um, as far as they have a toll-free number out there, and um, they're, they're ready to answer the questions and help the families of the victims to get information on that illegal alien criminal, whether he's coming up for a hearing or you know, even being released and all. So um, I've called in myself, and I actually got three people who call, called me back. So um, I think it's going well, and I haven't heard anything otherwise than that. Um, well, so you know, look, well. let's, let's, be on, let's be honest. It was the Remembrance Project that, w- that basically your close relationship with the president that prompted the founding of this, of this division of the government, yes? Absolutely. And, you know, we're very excited about it. We want it to do more, though, also. But, you know, it has to be funded. We have to get these representatives behind President Trump's America First agenda. And these are one of the elements that we're on the road to. You know, back in April of 2015, um, we signed, we penned a letter, about 12 Latinos, and I penned a letter to every state governor asking them for this type of program to help burial medical counseling and help navigate through the legal system. We tweaked that letter and resent it out to the four remaining GOP candidates in March of 2016. And one candidate responded, and that was Donald Trump. And, and mm-hmm. here we are. We got a formal um, statement from him as well, and he's delivering, I think, the best he can. 
Um, and um, Chris, yesterday we held a press conference right here in Washington, D.C. to roll out the announcement of our collaboration with uh, CareForce U.S. and that will provide crisis intervention services and chaplain services for the families should they need that. Well, in your liberty-loving Latino's opinion, if uh, there are lawmakers who can vote for half a billion dollars for an organization that that profits off the killing of children in the womb, they certainly can afford some money to for an organization inside of the government that actually stands up for families who have lost their loved ones to illegal alien crime, felonies. Let me ask you, uh, Maria, about uh, your meetings. Now, you, you've been meeting with some high-profile administration folks. First off, the Attorney General of the United States, Jeff Sessions. What did you guys talk about and how did the meeting go? Oh, my goodness. It went very well, Chris. He is such a, a wonderful patriot. Um, we were actually his last meeting for the day prior to him leaving for the border when he went to Tucson back in April. And one of the issues that we went in to meet with them, because we're not just meeting with them to have coffee or tea. We're talking about some issues that we've learned from grassroots being in the trenches since 2009. And one of our um, efforts is obviously helping out the Border Patrol agents, those who protect us and keep our communities safe, all law enforcement. And uh, one of the uh, agents mentioned that uh, Paul Perez over there in the RGB sector mentioned that one thing that is very disturbing to the agents is the matter is the fact that the AUSAs, the assistant U.S. attorneys, do not prosecute the illegal alien when they assault an agent. We took that letter to AG Sessions, and he said it was very important. In fact, in his speech at press conference. He said his fifth and most important point was to mandate that the AUSAs prosecute assaults upon the agent. So, you know, we're making a difference up here. Uh, we also met with Secretary of Homeland Security, John Kelly, and that was, again, more of the same type. He's a good patriot. You know, of course, we're, we're here for them at whatever that we can do and whatever we can do for the families. And we've learned certain um, issues uh, maybe they're, again, agents having a problem or a mother not being able to give a victim's impact statement. This is where we are in our country. When you know, wait, wait, before you, before you give an impact statement. Yeah, before, before you do, get away from that topic, I mean, what does it say about where we've been the last eight years? The cancer of the previous administration, the irresponsibility, the, the dedication yeah. to lawlessness and the, the dedication to the, uh, the criminal, the felon that the previous administration had right. to where you couldn't even get if, if an illegal alien harmed a border agent. Uh, U.S. attorneys wouldn't prosecute the illegal alien. That, that's what I think, Maria, is that the Achilles heel and the reason why the other party, the left-wing party, is losing so many elections is because the American people know that uh, President Obama put illegal alien felons first as so many, like, like cities of Dallas, like mm-hmm. the cities of Austin and Houston are doing right back here at home. Maria Espinosa Absolutely. is the co-founder of the National Director for the Remembrance Project. Last thing, now you guys are stepping things up with your organization. Uh, you guys are doing a 501c4 organization. It's called the Remembrance Project Advocacy. Why are you guys doing that, and what is the, what is the net effect? Right. Well, Chris, what we want to do is to be able to point to good legislation and, you know, 
encourage people to vote for it or a good candidate. You know, we need to be going out there. We have a great reputation. We worked very hard. And, you know, there's value. We have incredible access because of our work and professionalism with administration. We want to be able to um, show the public who is good. And they have to be good conservatives, America first. You know, we're having our national conference, Chris, and I want to invite you to come up, and we're going to have a real media row. No more fake news. We're only inviting grassroots <laughs> bloggers, those like us who've been in the trenches. You know, we, we're bringing people up to help because we need people in this fight. Well, you're getting pretty good at this because you actually just are going to help me segue into talking about uh, the president's assault on a fake news network, CNN. Maria Espinosa, everybody, <laughs> co-founder and national director of the Remembrance Project. Keep us posted to your activities up there because you guys are doing God's work. We always appreciate your visit here on the Salcedo Show. Well, God bless you, Chris, and thank you so much. Keep it up, young man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I was called, young man. Uh, very nice. Folks, look, uh, she's right. I, I, I want you guys to make sure that you check out the president's Twitter handle. Now, I, I told you that once in a while the president gets in trouble for his tweets. But his criticism of CNN is warranted. And... Time was when you had responsible media. If somebody had stepped, when there was real competition in the press, we could count on, you know, the likes of if CNN. Well, this happens today. CNN steps out of line. Fox will report it, but ABC, NBC, CBS won't. There used to be a competition as to who who would get the most audience, but now since it's all ideologically driven. And it's, they're, they're doing it all for left wing. Uh, the folks at ABC are cool with folks watching CNN or cool with folks watching CBS. As long as they're watching the indoctrination. The left wing perspective. That's what matters. So competition goes out the window. And Donald Trump is right to call out CNN. So I encourage you guys to check out. And I don't I won't do this often. Check out at real Donald Trump. And check out his tweets, because on this particular case, his tweets are justified. His tweets are a service and they are needed here in this country. Up next, an experiment, a socialized uh, social, a socialism, social experiment in Seattle goes horribly wrong. And I'll tell you what lessons we can glean from it. The $15 an hour minimum wage. Back in a minute. Chris Salcedo's show right here on The Blaze. Reminding America that limited constitutional government is cool. The Chris Salcedo Show. On The Blaze Radio Network. Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, welcome back, everybody. There was an experiment. That's not an experiment. It was actually just uh, social engineering from individuals, from progressives who have never signed the front of a paycheck out in places like Seattle. And the experiment was this. Let's force 
companies to pay their their workers $15 an hour. And I fully supported this. Now, for all of you who think all of it, oh, Chris has lost his mind, let me remind you why I supported this. Because Seattle, I knew, would tank their economy. Seattle, I knew, would ruin their economy for those who are uh, on the lower end of the pay scale. We knew that businesses would fold up shop when they when they couldn't make the oppressive and overbearing wage requirements for Seattle. They would pack up shop and they would leave Seattle and they'd come to places like Texas. They'd go to more free markets where labor was more fairly uh, decided on market forces, not on some arbitrary number that some politician believes who has never signed the front of a paycheck, who some politician believes is going to get him the most votes. Not economically based whatsoever, not market based whatsoever, but just on pure liberal whimsy. And that said, uh, I knew there would be some other states that were more market based and would create opportunity and liberty and freedom for others. And I knew that in the, in the arena of ideas, Seattle would be a loser. And according to, of all publications, the Washington Post, uh, Max, oh boy, Aaron, Front, Aaron Fund, maybe, he came out with a, uh, with a report on a credible study that shows that Seattle's $15 minimum wage has been bad for liberals. And in particular, bad for low-wage folks. Now, the study concluded that, among other things, this, this little experiment it did manage to increase... Uh, I think it was by $3 by <laughs> increase wages by about, what was it three bucks an hour or something like that for most folks. However, with the increase increased wage came a reduction in hours. And with that reduction in hours it ended up being a net loss for low income folks to the tune of $125 a week. Now, look, that may not seem a lot of money to some of you, but to low-income folks, that's, a, that's an awful lot. It really is. So, and then you multiply that by, you know, two weeks, it's 250 bucks every paycheck, gone, because government thinks it knew best. And that's what's happening here. And that's what's happening in Seattle. And again, I fully support it. If Seattle wants to drive its its economy into the tank, I say we let it. And then here's the exact stat. What workers saw 3%, sorry, not $3, 3% increase in their wages, a 3% increase in their wages, but they saw a nine hour reduction in their hours per week. Thus it was a net loss of 125 bucks to which we said, you know, great work lives. Great work. Now, why all of this is going on, 
McDonald's stock prices going through the roof. And you want to know why? Because they're starting to implement kiosks. They're firing their cashiers and they're putting in digital kiosks to take the place of those cashiers. So you come in, you see this big old, you know, instead of a human being, you see this machine, you punch in what you want, runner comes up, gives it to you, you're gone. Oh, you, you swipe your card, you pay for it, you're gone. So McDonald's stock prices is rising. McDonald's is responding to cities like Seattle, to those who are talking about falsely raising the minimum wage because it creates a false market. And of course, McDonald's wants to remain in business. McDonald's wants to stay in business. So they're going to do everything they possibly can to stay in business. And they can't raise prices because then they start pricing themselves away from their market. Because, you know, the dirty little secret, folks, is that businesses don't pay taxes. You do. Businesses factor in their tax burden and the cost of their product. It's the cost of doing business is paying taxes. So right, it works right up until the point where you start, you know, charging, you know, five bucks for a Big Mac. And then you can't do that anymore because then you then your competitors swoop in and and you're no longer competitive, courtesy of government. So at any rate, uh, you know, McDonald's is is doing this in reaction to left wing progressives who want to impose arbitrary business decisions on on folks. And it's well, it's having the predictable result. Hey, remember, everybody, society's worth isn't result isn't measured rather by how much power is seized by a government, but rather how much power is reserved for we the people. Have yourselves a grand day back tomorrow on the Blaze Radio Network for the Salcedo Show. We will see you to 3 o'clock Eastern. This is the Chris Salcedo Show. Part of the next generation of talk radio. This is the Blaze Radio Network.